got both champion and challenger back in the ring. He's going for greetings from Asbury Park. He's over the shoulder. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine from March of 1998 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Five volumes for you this month, I think. Uh, volume number one takes us to the WWF looking at WrestleMania. Volume number two to WCW looking at Uncensored. Volume three, this is this show, uh, ECW looking at their Living Dangerously pay-per-view. Uh, volume number four takes the UFC. We haven't taken that yet. Volume number five takes us uh, to, uh, what is it? It's Pride. That's right. We took that about five weeks ago. Um, so lots of things going on there. Um, but we are here in volume number three for ECW and being joined by Billy Johnson. Billy, hello. Uh, good evening. And Chris Lacey. Chris, good evening. Welcome to Hardcore as always. Yes, um, it is basically just a pay-per-view this month. There's not much else going on, but there's a, a little bit of news to rattle through. Uh, Chris, I'll start as always by just shouting some headlines at you. Uh, we start with another sellout crowd for the pay-per-view in Ashbury Park, New Jersey. So, the convention centre in Asbury Park, New Jersey had a sellout of around £3,700, paying roughly $80,000. The surprise was that up to a day, uh, a week before, there were still tickets, and there is rumours that there were still tickets on the second row that were available on show day itself, yet still managed to get a full crowd in. Pay a few bar rates. It's slow, but it is steady and it is growing. So early indications are the buy rate for Living Dangerously will be an all-time high for the company. The numbers are believed to be above the 60,000 mark. This is obviously without any plugs on the WWF TV for the first time leading into a pay-per-view. So it shows the ECW can amble, get ample exposure to generate themselves a profit buy rate without any help from the Fed. A, a, a weird interlude for me, Chris, but would you ever say that the, the WWF stuff ever really helped ECW on pay-per-view? Like, you know, I, I guess it gave them a little bit of buzz going to the first one, but I, I don't think it did. I think the only real sort of one, obviously, that initial exposure for the first pay-per-view and obviously the Fed lending them Lawler for storylines going into... Uh, the second pay-per-view, but I don't think them being on Raw really did a great deal, other than sort of you know get the get the news out there that there is this company that is having a show. But I think it's one of those if you already know about it, you would have known already. Mystery. Speaking of WWF, uh, the plans originally for the mystery partner in the main event. So the original plan for the mystery partner in the main event of Living Dangerously was for it to be Psycho Sid Justice himself being a mystery debut for the partner. But as is normal with Sid in his workings with lots of people when doing independent bookings, there were communication breakdowns. So there were two ideas floated. One would be that Sid was picked by Sonny's handpicked partner and then for him to swerve and knock him out. 
but the chances of Sid doing this were less than 1%. The second scenario was that Bam Bam Bigelow attacked him as he was coming to the ring, him to be stretched out, starting a Sid Bam Bam feud going forward. Obviously, this did not happen. Yeah, no Sid. On the pay-per-view, TV in Pittsburgh is back. So, following last month's news where TV Pittsburgh TV was being lost because of the station chief not wanting wrestling, ECW have got themselves a new TV deal starting on the 7th of this month at 11pm on the WNPA network on Channel 19. This has been in Lawrence with the viewer's choice uh, taking up the pay-per-view, basically seeing that Philly, or Pittsburgh even, is a key market for ECW and expected to get good buy rates now that they have TV again. News of the Pitbulls. So, the Pitbulls, after their wonderful steroid accusations and arrests last year, have actually been to court and have been sentenced. Gary Wolf, 30, and Anthony Durant, 29, both pled guilty for selling steroids and weed this past week and will both receive a two grand fine, three years prohibition, and also probation even. Probation would be, probation would technically not be legally all that different, uh, but not it wrong in this case. There we go, so probation even. And have both been forced to refund the 7,600 in monies received for their drug deals. And I think ECW have also said, yeah, we're, uh, I was actually relatively surprised that ECW even brought them back in after the stuff broke, but I think ECW have now said, yeah, we're not going to book them again. Uh, so there's that. Um, Back on the pay-per-view front, uh, we are not long away from the next one. As the it's going to be, I think, early May. Um, so go on, Chris. But they're reckoning uh, another pay-per-view sell-up. Yeah. So tickets went on sale the beginning of this month for the pay-per-view that's going to be in Marietta, Georgia, and they sold a record eight hundred tickets in the first day for thirty-five thousand dollars straight up. Even though the market in Georgia isn't very strong with TV not really being on very much there, they are actually expecting a, an advanced sellout. And uh, this is basically because the pay-per-view distributors have said that it might be worth them taking the pay-per-views to various markets around the country so they're not seen as a regional promotion. And speaking of Wrestlepalooza, we have most of the card already in place. So, by the end of this month, we have officially had announced Shane Douglas versus Al Snow for the TV title, or for the world title, Bam Bam versus New Jack for the TV title, Sandman and Tommy Dreamer versus Bubba Ray and Devon, Lance and Chris Candido versus Axel and Bulls for the tag team titles, and Mikey versus Justin. Although not been announced as of taping, Angles recently seem to build between RVD and Sabu, so maybe we're getting a singles match between them, and a match between Taz, maybe a squash match as a quick comeback, as a working with an injury at the moment. Billy, lots going on. Um, thoughts on any of that? Well, I'm generally quite shocked about hearing that Sid might be coming into ECW. Oh, was supposed to be coming in. Oh, I really can't see like uh, 
that sort of working with him. Um, been there, um, uh, not a lot else really to talk about, is there? I suppose it's good news that they're doing, um, good business in, uh, Georgia, is it? Yeah. Just, yeah, and that's the Cobb County Centre in Marietta, Georgia, so, uh, WCW territory. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite, um, shocking that they're doing quite well selling ticket wise over there and they haven't already got a strong, TV presence out there, so good, good on them. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's a sign one in part that you know wrestling's just quite hot right now. Um, you know that's the thing. Like it, wrestling, book well, book badly, books indifferently, just always seems to draw right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know Georgia's a market. You know when you and Chris, you'll be able to speak this a little bit as well. But when we when, when we kind of read through the news every month and you look at the markets they they, they tape in, they've they've certainly been expanding, but it's mainly been kind of you know Massachusetts, you know, northeast of America, and Florida is generally where they've been. Mm. Um, and Georgia, I mean, I guess you know if, you, if you're touring Florida, Georgia's you know just one state up, so that's not that difficult. Um, but still, I, I think it's interesting. Probably one of the more interesting. Um, bits from the news certainly one bit i pulled out was the fact that it's the pay-per-view provider that's trying to kind of telling them to or the providers are kind of telling them you know get this show out and about get it to different venues get it in front of different crowds um get it to different places um it, it, it might actually be helping ecw in the sense that you know I, I don't get the feeling they're making a tremendous amount of money on these pay-per-views from a pay-per-view standpoint you know the 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 the, the one-off costs for broadcasting a live pay-per-view are not that low um you know and, and certainly when they did the first one last year there was talk of well you know it's just we may not even be looking to make money off this show. It's kind of just like, you know, a proof of concept. Um, but if they can go to, to different markets and if they're not forcing themselves to, to play in front of the ECW arena of, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred fans, they can go to places and play three, four thousand seats, charge a little bit more because it's a pay for you rather than a live event as well. Um, you know, good on them. Uh, Chris, anything for the, the news that stood out to you? Well, um, obviously the only other thing I'll say on the, them expanding and going to elsewhere. There was a little bit in the news that they were looking at uh, maybe trying to do a tour of the West Coast or do Vegas and LA. Um, they are going a little bit further south and looking at New Orleans as well. So there is obviously thought of uh, sort of going to newer markets and seeing where they can sort of expand to. And I suppose their ever-growing TV coverage also helps with that yeah that and as i say just wrestling being hot you know take a take a product that i think if you're a wrestling fan you've probably heard of by now um you know take it to a take it to markets where wrestling's strong you know they're talking about west coast texas could be in that kind of arc as well depending on how big and how wide they want to go not that texas is west coast it should be said but it's it's out west if you're ecw Mm. um you know, that kind of thing. Go to places where wrestling is traditionally strong. If you set your ambitions right and you've got, you know, guys that can do local promotion, um, there's no reason why that can't be profitable either. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll see how we go. As I say, a pay-per-view in, uh, in Georgia in a couple of months. Um, speaking of pay-per-views, uh, we are literally 
it, it's the first of the month is, is the show. Uh, Billy, I don't know if you've got the results. Uh, if you oh, have no. them, that's great. If not, I will edit this bit and then uh, read them out when you're ready. Uh, yes, I've got the results right in front of me. So, uh, opener was Jerry Lynn and Chris Chetty beating the FBI, Lil Guido and Tracy Smothers. Masato Tanaka defeated Doug Furness. Rob Van Dam defeated Two Cold Scorpio. New Jack and Spike Dudley beat the Dudley Boys. And uh, Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten. Tommy Dreamer beat Just Incredible. Bam Bam Bigelow beat Taz to win the ECW World Television title. Uh, Sabu uh, beat the Sandman in a Dueling Canes match. And in the main event, El Snow and Lance Storm beat the team of Shane Douglas and Chris Candino. Chris, what do you think of the show? This is a really good show for, obviously, exposure of ECW, and it sort of has expanded a lot of the stories and characters that we are hoping they're going to go forward with. Um, obviously, you've got the new guys in there with the Chetties and the Lins. Um, you've got your old favourites with your RVDs and your Sabus, and all of them are in really good spots, and I really enjoyed it. Billy? Yeah, I really enjoyed this show as well. Um, you could say it was, uh, at times, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but I think they did a really good job of getting like, all the new guys over and protecting some of the older guys as well. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I'd agree broadly with the enjoyable part. Um, I, I think another thing to, to signpost is that this might be the best looking ECW show I've ever seen from a arena standpoint. Um, you know, they played in front of one of the biggest gates they've ever had, um, in front of a building that didn't look small. I mean, it was by no means big, but it was, you know, it was a big, small venue, uh, unlike a lot of ECW venues, which are just kind of small. Um, it was very well lit, which is a problem they've had before. Um, I, I think my my main takeaway of this show, uh, Chris, I'll open up to a bit of discussion now before we even get going. Were ECW trying too hard with this show? It felt like they were trying to be really, really clever. And in that regard, I think they missed more than they hit. Um, I, I can sort of see what you're saying there with Franchard, especially if you sort of in alluding about the Bam Bam Taz match and how that went down. Um, well, that was one of the bits I probably thought they got right. I think it was more probably the the two things that, that stood out. Um, he says, as I forget one of them, uh, that was the, 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 the Sabu and Sandman thing that they, they taped earlier in the evening for the sake of, uh, what did they tape it earlier? They taped it earlier in the evening for the sake of one, in case anything went wrong slash anything went too far, um, they could edit around it. Uh, and secondly, they wanted a break between the semi main and the main event so they could hand out all the foam heads for the Al Snow thing. Um, so that bit, I, you know, conceptually that wasn't too bad, but you've, you know, they, they built this match up throughout the show as this thing that, oh, it's far too bloody. The pay-per-view providers will never let us carry it. Um, and then Heyman, after the ring breaks, and we'll get to all that in a bit, decides, oh, we'll, you know, we'll throw it in here anyway. And Styles are, okay, well, when the pay-per-view providers want to throw us off the air, then that's on your head, not on mine. And then you watch the match. And it's like, it's just a normal match. 
uh, which yeah. is a bit weird. Um, and just you know, the other thing as well was was Van Damme and and uh, two called Scorpio, like you know, them guys going twenty five minutes in was twenty five. It was a long match. Yeah. In what I what I would describe as objectively bad match. Um, combine that with a few of the other things they tried, like Jemma Jameson's back, which is a bit weird. Um, you know, the main event was a little bit odd. I, I just felt like they were, uh, they were trying to be a bit too clever. And with the exception of what I, I thought the, the, the Taz and Bam Bam match was probably the highlight of the show, with the exception of that, I felt like if they tried five or six things, only one or two of them came off. Okay, so. I, I will agree with you with the Sandman Sabu caning thing because all the way through that it was like, oh, you'll only see this on 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 the video uh, when we release it later. It's too extreme. It's too violent to be on. And to be fair, it was even pretty tame compared to some of the stuff you see on TV between those two. So it was it was tame compared to some of the stuff on the show. Yeah. So. I, I can I can agree there that that was well over egged. That that seems a bit bit silly of of them to sort of play that up as the level of violence and as extreme and as hardcore and as so bad that it can't be seen on pay per view. And it really wasn't, and there's no real sort of reason for that. But I think I mean in the context of how the show was going and where they fit it in, it worked as a sort of, oh, we're going to get this this special thing that we really shouldn't be seeing. But it didn't live up to what we should have got with that. Um, I think the Jenna Jameson thing, I think having that level of celebrity and I use celebrity loosely because obviously we all know that she's just a porn star but she's obviously a really famous porn star works for ECW because it is hardcore and extreme to have a porn star on your show you know it'd be like having Howard Stern or you know one of those sort of shock radio hosts and sort of counterculture you're not going to get Bob Urker or you know whoever the fed are getting like sort of a couple of years ago as their sort of TV friendly celebrities aren't going to work there. So I, I sort of think that worked on okay on the pay-per-view. The use of her was awful, but her in general and her presence being there, I sort of get what they're doing. Um, I quite enjoyed the Sabbat or the RVD and Too Cold match. Thing is, I've, I've seen obviously a lot of the sheets and stuff that reviewed the shows, and obviously in the news, were down on this match as well. And I was, I, I liked it. I, I don't see what everyone sort of was so down on it for. We'll, uh, we'll come to that when we get to that. Billy, Billy, thoughts on any of that? Yeah, um, they really did build up like the Sandman and Sabu matches. It was the most violent thing you're going to see anywhere. Um, which it just didn't pay off, and I don't know why they decided to go that route and say that. Obviously, like you guys said, it was, you know, because they didn't want um, the fact that... Uh, oh, uh, that it was... They didn't want them to, to uh, cock up or blow their spot, so that's why they decided to record it. But still, 
why build it up to that? And I, I didn't make no sense to me. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a way of, you know, I feel like you could have just said, you know, we, we had this match planned for this point in the card, but we got most of the fans in the building, and then Sabu and Sandman just spilled out into the ring. We were like, well, we ain't going to clear them before the show starts. Might as well film the match now. Uh, you know, you could have just said that and then said, well, this spontaneously happened early in the show. It should happen more often, in theory, or before the show started, rather. Um, therefore, we're going to show it you now. Uh, that could have been a way around it. But anyway, I, I suppose we should probably actually get onto the show itself. Uh, we start the show with a cold open of Taz arriving in the building. It's dark, so I'm guessing it's the night before. He walks into an empty venue that looks tiny, at least without anyone in it. He says he's ready. We cut live to the ring to Joey Styles. We're in Asbury Park, New Jersey. The lighting looks good, as does the crowd. This is by some distance the best-looking ECW pay-per-view we've had. Opening up the show, it's the FBI, Little Guido and Tracy's Manners with Tommy Rich versus Chris Chetty and Jerry Lynn. Guido mugs off the camera, gets a spin kick for his trouble. Really should be said, this is the best ECW venue has looked. I've said that about four times now. Uh, Swanners gets caught coming off the top. Lynn tags in but eats some chops. We get the usual spot where Guido gets used inadvertently to elbow drop his own teammate. Lynn heads to the top and hits a planche to the floor for the first big pop of the night. After which gets involved, the FW, uh, FWI, the FBI get their double team elbow drop off right this time. Spotters then suplexes Guido onto Chetty. Chetty hits a sunset flip, but Tommy Rich runs a distraction. Lynn gets a hot tag, then manages to counter a double flapjack, which is quite impressive. Tommy Rich jumps into the ring, hits Smothers with a flag by accident. Lynn bridges the pin and takes it. We close with a fan in the crowd holding a flag aloft and the FBI, holding the flag aloft, sorry, and the FBI arguing. Smothers shoves Rich, who just walks away. Billy? Yeah, it was, um, I suppose this match really existed to get these, uh, four guys on the card. Um, really wasn't offensive, like, very passable, like, some good action in it, and, um, the, the finish was, you got to expect it with the FBI and Tommy Rich. It, it, it really didn't harm anyone. So uh, a good, good opener. I enjoyed it. Chris. Yeah, it basically a fun opening match, you know, get, get the crowd going, you know, you need this sort of a match. I think works best as an opener than having something that's like ultra violent or, you know, even sort of super technical to start with is just get that out there, get the crowd warmed up. With obviously, I know we'd already they'd already seen Sabu and Sandman by this point, but for the TV audience, it's a, it's a good ease in, and you know who doesn't love the FBI? Uh, uh yeah, me. Um, uh, I, they've they've grown on me a little bit, and that they've gone from being like abhorrently bad to like, well, at least they're good in the roles they're in. Um, but they are very much opening card fodder. Um, you know, I mean, let's, let's, let's give them enough credit and say they are far greater than the sum of the inner individual parts. Um, and let's also say that they now have an act down that is somewhat serviceable, but I, I wouldn't say I love the FBI. Uh, this was very much an opening match, um, spot opening match performance from all four guys, which is fine. Um, you know, they did okay. Chetty looks quite good. He's got a long way to go. Lynn's solid. And the FBI, as I say, are over a, a, a compelling enough as an act. Um, but you know, this is a, this is a two star match. You know, they aim for two stars. They reach two stars. Job done. 
and I think we'll move on. Next up, it's Doug Furness with Lance Wright versus Maso, uh, Masako Tanaka. Wright starts off with the mic. He talks of his connections to Vincent Mann, and then he bought out the contract using WWF money. That was the contract of Wing Katamura, who should be participating here, but instead it's Doug Furness. Fans chant, Lance Wright takes it up the ass, doodah, as Tanaka gets working on Furness's leg. Tanaka gets a swinging DDT for a tooth and a running Death Valley driver. They're calling it the Spicoli driver. Furnace hits a powerbomb pile driver hybrid. He folds up and Tanaka into a pinfall for a two. He follows out the lovely release Jones suplex. A reminder that Doug Furnace is really good. Furnace hits a Frankenstein up at right, gets on the apron and distracts him. The fans start booing after they have a miscommunication in the ring. Tanaka then, presumably they were going for the finish, because Tanaka then just hits his standing elbow and picks up the win for an incredibly fat, flat finish. Afterwards, Wright gets on the mic and berates Furnace for a bit. He says he and the rest of the group of the guys up north know what it takes. Furnace is about to wipe him out here. Wright name drops Jim Ross, Bruce Pritchard and Vincent Mann. Furnace tries to walk away. Wright won't have any of it, so Furnace flattens him. Furnace grabs the mic and tells Wright to pass the message on to Vince. Tell him to kiss my ass. Chris. Fun, big lads wrestling. Um, Tanaka is an absolute beast, and I I want to see more of him. Um, Though I will say it was a little bit sloppy at the end. Um, I don't know whether it was these two just haven't, sort of work together communication breakdown or what but yeah the finish was was a tad sloppy Billy uh, yeah um, I enjoyed this match um, throughout but it, it was sloppy it was ugly and it was awkward at points and especially that flat finish but yeah and considering going in I was I was very excited to see Doug Furness and uh Masato Tanaka, because uh, originally it was supposed to be Wing Kanemaru, and uh, I've seen a lot of Wing stuff uh, from FMW, and it's mostly garbage matches. So this was probably better than what we would have got if it was Wing and Masato Tanaka. So there's always that, I suppose. Yeah, the the action in the first four minutes wasn't good enough to counteract the fact that the finish was so bad. I think is what I would say. Like, Furnace is, you know, Furnace could do some shit really, really well, but this was not a good Doug Furnace match. Um, you know, the fans weren't always with it, which didn't help. And it, as I say, the, that was a really terrible finish. Like, they went for like a, an Irish whip crossover, and then they both just kind of stopped right next to each other. And then Tanaka went, well, shit, this is the finish. So he kind of went for a discus elbow. Um, but I'm presuming he was meant to be running while he was doing it. Um, and it didn't really look particularly effective. And Furnace kind of had to crumple up in a heap. Um, and then he got the win. Yeah. As I said, the, the, the match itself up until the finish wasn't actually that bad, but it wasn't good enough to, to, uh, to counteract the fact the finish was really tripe. Uh, Joey Styles says they take the Sabu Sandman match early tonight, but the pay-per-view providers won't let them show it. We'll see. Jason Nicole Bass interrupts Styles. They want to take two played. Tommy Dreamer arrives. He walks into the building with his dog, but crucially, no Beulah. Jason says she left him to come with us. Next up, it's Rob Van Dam with Bel Alfonso versus Two Cold Scorpio. 
Alfonso is introduced as the Senior Vice President of Extreme Affairs for the World Wrestling Federation. A cautious start as Van Damme does a flip, lands on his feet and bows to the crowd. Seems to be miscommunications, they bump together and Scorpio just kicks Van Damme to the outside. After another standoff, Scorpio hits a standing sidekick and we spill to the floor for our first guardrail spot of the night. Van Damme comes off of the guardrail and misses a spin kick. Scorpio dumps him onto it. Van Damme hits a slingshot leg drop and the fans are chanting, this match sucks. Or at least some of them are. It's not an arena-wide shout by any stretch. Van Damme charges at Scorpio and hits a spin kick. Someone takes a pop of Van Damme from the crowd. He comes off of the top with another kick. He hits a corkscrew leg drop for a two and there's some light We Want Sandman chants as Scorpio rallies with some shots. Some of those We Want Sandman chants could have been related to Van Damme getting involved in Sandman's match that hasn't happened yet but has happened yet because it was filmed earlier. We'll get to that later. Scorpio hits Van Damme with a lovely release powerbomb. He gets some props from the crowd then hits a nice rolling leg drop. He goes to the apron, hits a slingshot 450. I guess that looks excellent. No cover though. Scorpio hits a belly to back. He then hits a twisting splash, and to no be surprised, Van Damme kicks out. Scorpio hits a lovely moonsault, another two. At this point, I just feel sorry for his knees. They both head to the top. Van Damme knocks him off. He hits a frog splash, but Scorpio gets his knees up. Scorpio hits a leg drop. Van Damme kicks out again. Van Damme hits a side kick off of the second rope. Van Damme drops Scorpio, then hits a split-legged moonsault. He crawls over for the cover and Scorpio kicks out. Stars is calling this an outstanding match, but I'd be surprised if most of the fans agree. Van Damme hits a Frankensteiner. We head to the ramp, which is on a raised platform. They then hits a Van Dominator after Fonzie hits it with a chair. Oh, Van. Scorpio then pile drives Van Damme on the ramp and then again with a sort of reverse pile driver. It really should be said, Van Damme's punch have looked awful in this match. They're dreadful. We get a ref bump. Scorpio comes off of the top. Van Damme pulls John Finnegan into harm's way. Van Damme goes for Scorpio-style 450 splash. Scorpio rolls out of the way. He plants Van Damme with a power bomb. Hits a 450, but the ref's out cold. Sabu runs out and hits a Arabian face buster. The ref comes to, counts the pin, but Scorpio kicks out to a really nice near fall. Out comes Sandman who runs off Sabu. Scorpio hits a running spin kick. Van Damme gets up, hits a rolling body scissors and takes it with a roll up. Van Damme takes the mic. He sets out to get him the chance to get his ass kicked. He'll offer Scorpio the chance to shake his hand. Scorpio takes the mic instead. He goes to the handshake but Van Damme pulls it away. Scorpio says he'll shake Van Damme's hand even if he won't reciprocate. Scorpio admits Van Damme was the better man before sucker punching him. There's probably more heat for that than there was at any point during the match. Sabu is back. He struggles to get a table in the ring. They get it in and Sabu goes to the top and Sandman comes out swinging a cane. Ow. Sandman gets the Sam- Sabu on the top. The table is in the ring but it's not really facing in the right direction. I. It's kind of facing kind of in the... It's pointing towards them rather than uh, being perpendicular like it normally is. Sandman hits them. It's a Frankensteiner anyway. Sabu's legs kind of just crack off the edge of the table, which didn't look fun at all. The heels flee. Scorpio says the only person who watches back has been Sandman. Sandman offers out a beer. They share one, and Sandman does some dancing. Uh, Billy, a lot to take in. I need to rest my voice. What do you think of all that? Well, it was a very long match. I was uh, well over 25 minutes. I thought, what? You Basically, they could have taken, like... Uh, the brawling part out in the middle and probably, um, you know, cut it down by a good 10 minutes and it would have been, I'd have been sitting here praising it, saying, oh, 
it was like a, a good four star match, but um, it dragged towards the end, and um, there was far too many kickouts of big moves uh, that could have possibly finished the match. Uh, but uh, as you pointed out before, Bob, you know that um, tends to happen in Scorpio matches. Any more, Billy? Uh, that's it. Yeah. Oh. Okay, you, you, you stopped a weird inflection in the sentence. That was what threw me off. Uh, Chris, what do you think? See, I, I like this. Um, I think it showed what RVD is good at. Um, obviously, you know, his, his punches are awful, but his kicks are great. Um, his punches and, are terrible, aren't they? Yeah, he, he just keeps the kicking. Kicks, the kicks look perfect every time. But the, the thing is, with, with RVD, it's just like, I, I just, every time I see him, I like it, and it's obviously sort of better things. I think I would, I would go as far as to say he's probably one of the best wrestlers in the States at the minute. Um, and, yeah, maybe you could have taken five minutes out of this and sort of tightened it up a little bit, and, you know, everyone would have liked it more. But I thought it was awesome, and... I was happy to see that obviously Two Cold is back and he stays for a bit during this month. So is Flash Funk dead? Well, was Flash Funk ever really alive? Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you job in a WWF arena but no one's there to see it, does it even make a sound? Um, would be my summation of Flash Funk's WWF career up until this point. Um, this was a strange match. Um, it, it was weird to have such a long match so early in the card. Now, granted, I suppose if they had a dark match, if they had the Sabu Sandman thing on, for the sake of the light crowd, it wasn't that early in the card. It would have been the the midway point of the show, which traditionally for ECW, they'll put the longer matches. Um, but it, it is this thing, and you know, to an extent we see it with you know, we, we, we see it with the WF and WCW as well, but ECW plays a, a much higher emphasis on kind of, you know, match quality being a thing that matters. Um, it is weird that, like, you know, they will have a match like this and they will call it great come what may. Like, Joey Styles is trying to call the back end of this match like it's a great match. It's like, well, the fans are quite switched off. Some of them are chanting boring. Some of them are chanting this match sucks. Um, and I, I, I'd go as far as to, to disagree with both of you. So this objectively was not a good match. Um, they, you know, 27 minutes. Like, I, granted, like, there's been, I, I will say this, like, there's been 27, 28-minute matches we've seen before doing this that have felt a lot longer. It's not like it felt like it dragged. Um, you know, there was enough impressive stuff going on to mitigate any issues with match quality necessarily, uh, or, or, or with the match kind of dragging in terms of length. Um, but it never really got going. Like, Scorpio is a very, very bizarre act in that the guy is, I, I won't say as good a high flyer as you'll find. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's true, but he's probably not far off. Um, and certainly he's got those big moves that, you know, only really elite guys have. And he can do them as bad as well as elite guys can. And yet for some reason there's there's this thing, and I don't know whether it's Scorpio, I don't know whether it's ECW, I don't know what it is. 
Um, that it's like, well, Scorpio's not going to win, but fuck it, he can do a 450 and a moonsault and a, you know, a shooting star. So let's have him do it anyway. Um, you know, and it says a lot that they've kicked out of those so many times him in ECW now. People generally don't react to it. Oh, that's a hell of a problem. Like, it wouldn't be so bad if it was happening once. I think four times. Um, and then, yeah, Chris, thoughts on, the, the the finish, the post-match angle, I guess that's the bit they probably got right. I don't know what's happened with Scorpio. Um, you know, whether he's going to be around more or not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but, but thoughts on the kind of the, the aftermath of the match and the finish itself? Well, the, the sort of aftermath, I think, really does play in more for the live crowd than obviously the TV crowd, because obviously the live crowd have already seen what happens in the Jewel and K matches and, you know, RBD's interruption in in Sabu's match so having Sandman coming out to get even makes sense for them I don't think it obviously works because of the weird time loop quantum leap that we're in here with you know something that we're going to see later has already happened we don't know about it but we really should need to well we we don't know at this point we're going to see it you know for for all we know at this point Joe Salas is going to get his wish but I think putting Sandman with Too Cold again, like they were back in the day, is a great sort of visual for the old school fans that have been there and sort of seen, you know, a lot of the ECW history and can remember when they were a tag team together and sort of it's that little sort of wink and nod of, ah, do you remember when? And obviously, We'll go into it when we do the TV later on, but you know they do have tag matches together. We do get the band back together, so I think mean, I think for the crowd, it's it's your feel good moment of oh look, they run off the dastardly heels, they're sharing a beer together. Aren't they still great friends? But I, I guess what surprised me most about Scorpio is that he feels like the kind of act that ECW would get right. Um, and yet, funnily enough, if you were going to point to an act that they probably got it wrong with most of all in the last couple of years, I'd probably say it was him. Yeah, um, uh, I think... I, I, I got a Congress, I did address that to Billy. Uh, um, but I think the problem with Too Cold is, as we've said multiple times, is they never protected his moveset. Because... How many times in awesome matches against uh, Candido and other people that he had had all those great matches before he went to the Fed and was ruined as Flash Funk, would he hit the 450, the twisting splash, the uh, hangover leg drop, and just they'd always be kicked out of? I I think that sort of hasn't helped him because, yes, as we say, they look amazing, and he always puts on a good match. But every time he hits something, ah, they'll kick out. Billy, thoughts on any of that? Uh, yeah, well, basically, um, that, that's just the way they've sort of booked too cold, and um, as much as they've got it right, they've also got it wrong with him, haven't they, really? So, yeah, not really much else to add. Yeah, I, he, he's valuable to them, but you, you can't help but feeling like... I can't help but feeling if he was Mexican or Japanese, they would have booked him a hell of a lot better. 
I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that's important. I just can't help but feeling like they, for some reason, just think this guy isn't going to be a main event act for us. So that's not booking like one. Um, but what, what I probably more don't understand is that if I'm too cold Scorpio, this is the bit that doesn't really make sense. If you know you're going to go out there and have long matches and you're not going to win, you're not going to be pushed like a main event act, maybe do like one or two of the big top right moves rather than all four. That's the bit that I can't really compute, but anyway, there we are. Move on next to the Dudley Boys, Bob Ray and Dion Dudley versus Balls and Axel versus New Jack and Spike Dudley in a six-man tag, or a three-way six-man elimination tag match. Uh, Joel Gurner is on excellent form with the intros. I really can't do it justice, so I'm just going to play. Welfare recipients and homeless vagabonds of Asbury Park, New Jersey, and to the thousands upon thousands watching me coast to coast on pay-per-view. At this time, allow me to introduce, as if you could possibly stop me, the contingent, the masters of the three-way dance. In the ring at this time, he is the most outspoken commodity in ECW, the voice of a generation and the silence behind the violence, Sign Guy Dudley. Also in the ring at this time, standing before me and intimidating the masses, from the Twisted Steel section of Dudleyville, 25 and 3 eighths inches of the largest arms in the world, attached to the man that last night took such liberties with your mother. Wait a minute. That he is now recognized as your father in Chiseled and jacked. 
I'm so good. saying that Devon Dudley is a, a optimistic 169 pounds. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe one of his legs, I suppose. Uh, anyway, we had a brief four-man brawl that descends, uh, well, three four-man match descends into a brawl at a, inside and a brawl outside. There's no new Jack and Spike yet. Ball whist with a leg drop. The crowd are at this point completely flat and least until Bubba gets the chair up. The music starts, so here comes new Jack and Spike. The music keeps going, so they've basically got a wide-angle shot of about three or four different things going on at once. They started swinging chairs. Axe is bladed, and he's, not in, he's now in the crowd. That's smart. Security are at least holding back the fans, and that can only be for one thing. And for context, we are nearby a quite high balcony. D1 gets put on one table. Bubba gets put on the other. New Jack and Splite climb to the balcony. I'd, I'd guess they're... 15 feet in the air, maybe. They both dive off. Not for the first time. New Jack may have overshot his jump a little. Not that it wouldn't have hurt otherwise. Spike goes through the table cleanly. New Jack goes through it pretty cleanly on his side. We finally head back towards the ring. Spike does a spinning DDT onto balls through a table. Bubba lobbed Spike into the air, which disappointed the fans who wanted to catch him. We lobbed Spike onto Axel, sorry, rather than into the crowd. They 3D balls and eliminate balls and Axel. Bubba and Devon eat guitar shots. Spike hits Devon with a DDT from the top rope. New Jack comes off of the top with a chair. Looks horrid on his knees. But he pins Devon and wins the match. Billy? Yeah, um, the usual fun ECW walking brawl. Um, had the insane balcony dive spot as well. Um, really... Um, it's, it was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. I can't really pick out anything negative towards it, really. Chris? As always, we we must have our standard tag team walking brawl, and it delivers the goods every time. Obviously, that highlight reel worthy balcony dive 
will be in the intro package, I will imagine, for a while until they do something that tops it. The one thing I will say, though, this was a little bit tamer than usual in their use of weapons. Um, maybe because it's obviously on pay-per-view and some of the newer pay-per-view providers that have got it, they don't want to go all out with, you know, cheese graters and some of the nut hits the nuts and random household equipment that they usually bring out to these fun soirees. But the one massive improvement on this that what we haven't had recently is the fact it's Spike and New Jack and not the Gangstonators because they they had run their course and, you know, they, they don't have the chemistry that either of the original teams had and forcing it wasn't doing them, either of them, much good other than, you know, the fact that we knew what we were going to get with the brawl. Yeah, um... I mean, it, it didn't have the weapon stuff, but it did have a big, a big ass giant, uh, you know, balcony dive. Um, yeah, maybe they thought that was that was more important to showcase that. Maybe they thought that, you know, maybe they also thought, well, shit, we we, we can't, yeah, you know, we can't try and play out this idea of this Sabu Sama match being this wild brawl and then have something that's objectively kind of more wild later on or earlier in the show, depending on how you want to look at it, I guess. Um, you know, so there's always a, a theory on that front. Um, this was, yeah, like, you know, I, I, we've, we've said it a hundred times now, but, you know, you, you kind of go to an ECW show, you do expect one kind of wild walking brawl. Um, you know, if, if this did nothing else, it ticked a lot of boxes. It was a bit convoluted. I'll be honest, I wasn't completely sure the makeup of the match until probably right near the end in terms of who was on whose team or what the format was, not that it necessarily mattered. Um the balcony spot was really, really good. You know, if New, you know, like it's, you know, like New Jack's knees, like his knees, man, I forget everything else. Like, um, you know, another balcony dive where he basically missed. Uh, this wasn't quite as bad as the one from last year. The one from last year where he kind of landed on his face. This one, he kind of hit the table and then kind of fell over the, fell over the back of it. Um, you know, um, but while they want to do it, it's fine. Like it's uh, it's an enjoyable stuff. And you know, the other thing we didn't mention, we played the promo. Billy, how good is Joe Gertner? Uh, Joe Gertner is amazing, and um, I get a kick out of every single promo <laughs> that he cuts. Uh, yeah, Chris, same question. He is like you know, we we we, we will be doing end of year awards at the end of the year. Um, he's pushing his way in for promo of the year. I think if he can keep cutting stuff like this. To see it, with Gertner, he has been constantly improving. Um, you know, initially, obviously, it was lots of sort of innuendos and, you know, it was the same sort of jokes over and over again. He's doing that, but he's got it down so much better now. And I think adding the, the level of heat that the Dudleys get, and the fact that he will quite happily play off that as well and sort of just make it even more and feeds everything. It just makes the Dudleys better. And I, he's definitely going to be ECW's top talker. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's not a great deal of competition these days. It, it's, uh, you know, Douglas isn't the promo he necessarily was a few years ago. 
Um, Heyman's not really cutting promos anymore. Not that he's necessarily in that discussion. Mick Foley's not there anymore. Um, you know, and it, it might be a broader discussion we have kind of this show or, or, or on subsequent shows maybe in the next couple of months, just in terms of where ECW is at right now. Um, when you think back to ECW when they were on their way up, not so they're not now, but when you think kind of 94, 95, um, two things they had going really, really well for them that both kind of tie in this match. One was um, really, really good promos. Douglas, Heyman, Cactus Jack, there are others. Um, and two was really, really good tag team wrestling or to one degree or another, which they don't have at the moment, I don't think. Um, not to the not to the same degree, even if the match quality is um, not necessarily, you know, if match quality is not necessarily as good, um, or so it is, is, is around the same level as it was before, the characters aren't necessarily as compelling. Um, but there we are. Anyway, Gemma Jonesson's back. She's ECW's new reporter. She's on the ramp to interview Justin Credible, who's out with Jason and Nicole Bass. Justin flips off Jameson. Jason's eyes are up, but with Nicole Bass watching, he doesn't do it for too long. Jameson says she's going to interview who she wants. Tom Dreamer comes out. Dreamer cuts the interview short and just kisses her. Joey Styles says, Tommy Dreamer going boldly where every man has gone before. Up next, it's just incredible with Jason Nicole Bass versus Tommy Dreamer. Drew hits a slingshot plancher, taking Justin and Jason out. We're brought into the crowd, then back to the guardrail. On the ramp, Dreamer catapults Credible onto a chair. Credible roll out for a while. Dreamer shapes for a DDT on the ramp, but Credible crotches him on the guardrail instead. In the ring, Dreamer catches a crossbody, hits a fallaway slam. He puts Credible in a tree of woe and puts a chair in front of his face, then drop kicks it. Drew attempts to splash off the top, but misses. He gets dropped shoulder first onto the chair. Credible then hits a reverse DDT onto the chair. Drew does the Ficoli driver and the fans chant Louie Louie. Credible hits a tombstone pile driver and out comes Buda in a neck brace. She goes arm in arm with Credible and then low blows him for DDT and Jason and out comes Nicole Bass. Bass bear hugs Bueller, Mikey limps, limps out, knee brace and all, and Whitbreck hits a stunner on Bass, which is probably a, you know, in theory at least, is a throwback to Austin stuttering China, I guess. And then Drew DDT's Credible after all that and picks up the win. Chris? I was a little bit underwhelmed with this. Um, seeing the fact of the story going into this and how much of a blood feud this is meant to be, this was all very much a, a wrestling match and not the fight or at least at least the brawl sections that I expected it to have. Especially if you look back at what we saw last month when they had their first blood match and they were wrapping each other in barbed wire and, you know, that level of hatred. After that happened, Justin... That's incredible to Beulah and broke her neck. Yet Tommy wants to just sort of have this as a wrestling match and it's not violent and fighting. And so, yeah, it, it, I think, I think I just sort of what, how, where they'd got to with the story, the what it should have been, it wasn't. Billy. Uh, yeah, I, this what the, the bit at the beginning was very fun um, with Gemma Jameson and uh, I thought he put good heat on Justin where uh, uh, he didn't want to talk to the hot girl. You know, who doesn't want to talk to a hot girl? And, uh, uh, you know, at least he got her on the card. He got a big pop and everything. And 
whatnot. As for the match itself, it was pretty much a dud. Um, I expected so much more, like Chris was saying. Uh, you know, they had built it up over the last few months to be an absolute blood feud, and you thought they were going to go out and, you know, go balls to the wall, but it, it really didn't uh, sort of pay off like that. It was... Um, it was a bit of a disappointing match, and I didn't like the uh, the finish either. I thought it was, I just I just didn't enjoy it in general. I was very underwhelmed with this match. Yeah, very forgettable. Um, you know, also it's nineteen ninety eight, and Billy, you've just said you know it's nice that we've got a porn star on the card somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, you know, I talk about ECW trying to, uh, like, I really don't know what the hell, you know, why is Jeremy Jameson there? Like, I've got no idea. Like, well, I mean, I kind of do, but it's like, the, the, there's there's no tangible benefit other than, oh, it's just another thing. Like, I talk about ECW um, trying too hard. Uh, this was, this felt a bit like that. Um, the match itself was okay, and I, I don't know what Tommy Dreamer is anymore. It doesn't help the fact the guy seems permanently injured to one degree or another. It doesn't help the fact that he's really only good at one match. It probably doesn't help the fact that he hasn't really done the thing for a while. Like, Dreamer's just a baseline now in ECW. He's not really a, you know, at least when he was feuding with Raven, as tiresome as that often got, it felt like he was building something. Now it just feels like Dreamer's this gatekeeper of the mid card and you know like yeah and it's fine like he'll always get a reaction it's dreamer you know like it you know keeping baby face he'll probably be fine um but yeah like a, a a very forgettable match again a little bit of overbooked finish they've got the whole thing with nicole bass doing the 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 china thing except in this instance it's it's you know shitty version of dx i suppose is one way of looking at it um, yeah, uh, very forgettable be my main description, not for the first time where, uh, where Tom and Dream is concerned. Next up, it's Bam Bam Bigelow versus Taz, the ECW television title. Jerry says, Bam Bam Bigelow double-crossed the most miserable man on the planet. Bam Bam is from Asbury Park, so he gets a big reaction, and I'm a little bit surprised this isn't the main event. Taz goes straight for an arm lock. Bam Bam slides to the ropes. He then runs at Taz but gets taken down with an arm drag and set over the top. Bam Bam slams Taz with a powerbomb. Taz throws Bam Bam over the top onto the ramp. Fuck, reads my notes, as Taz shakes for side suplex and just T-bone suplexes him straight off of the ramp and into the first row. It looked really good, although fucking hell, it was a bit dangerous. Thought they could have got that easily wrong. And I thought Bam Bam got a bit too quickly as well. But Taz... They both basically fell off, and uh, mercifully, neither one of them landed kind of head first on top of the guardrail. Bama close eyes uh, Taz over the guardrail back into the ringside area, and then DDTs him back into the ring. He goes to the job and just about hits his moonsault. I think that was by design, and Taz kicks out. Bam Bam brings the table into the ring looks like the one Sabu half went through earlier on. He goes to put Taz through it, Taz reverses it and sort of flapjacks Bam Bam through it. We spin into the crowd. Bam hits Taz with a road sign. Taz then tells Bam Bam to hit him, so he does. Back in the ring, Taz goes for a Taz mission. He jumps onto Bam Bam's shoulders. Bam Bam staggers around, falls backwards, and straight through the ring. 
Styles reckons Bigelow was tapping out as he went down. There's just a chasm until Bam Bam crawls out of the hole. Apparently, the idea was that Bam Bam was going to let Taz come out of the hole and then hit his finisher on him. Um, but Taz wasn't really all there, as he wasn't for a lot of the match after the bump earlier on on the stage. Uh, so Bam Bam dragged Taz out of the hole and just covered him for a three, which actually may have been a little bit better. Um, Billy, a lot to unpack, but I, I thought this was the high point of the show. Yeah, definitely the match of the night for me. Um, I do like to see these two just beat the hell out of one another. Um, as for that spot, that big exploder off of the ramp onto the floor, uh, Jesus, I've, I've never seen anything like that before in wrestling. I thought that was more insane than the uh, balcony dive. Uh, uh, obviously, both of them were, weren't selling too much, which, uh, you know, could be a bit of a problem, but... They're both big uh, main event guys, so I could sort of understand why they would do that because, obviously, uh, the way they've been built up and portrayed in ECW, um, really good match, solid uh, match. I I was surprised uh, by the outcome as well. I really thought Taz was going to go over, Uh, but they seem to have got uh, their way out of that by doing this big spot at the end where they broke the ring. Yeah, it's worth saying that apparently the the ring wasn't rigged before uh, the show. Well, it, let me flesh it out a little bit. Apparently they went to a lot of time, effort and expense creating a ring that could be rigged during the match. Um, and so the bit towards the end where Bam Bam and Taz once again spilled to the outside... Um, which in the mechanics of putting together the match made very little sense. But apparently they, they moved them to the outside and then that gave them a lot of time for Mike, Mikey Whitbreck and Chris Chetty to come out and apparently just pull a couple of beams out from underneath the ring, uh, in the corner they were going to do the spot. Um, and then they returned to the ring and then they did the spot. So it wasn't like people were, were wrestling over a trap door or anything like that throughout the show. Chris, what do you think? Holy fuck. This was awesome. Um, I think Taz's head does hit the barrier slightly on that T-bone to the outside, which would sort of explain why he was not really 100% with it afterwards. This was everything that these two should and would have had as a sort of match. They, you know, Bam Bam has, has fight sort of upset Taz to the point of, you know, Taz wants to kill him and Taz is trying to kill him. And then it takes something as as massive as breaking the fucking ring to stop Taz. You know, yes, Bam Bam was tapping in the Taz mission before they went through the ring. That doesn't matter. He put him through the fucking ring. This This was just awesome um i didn't know the whole sort of moving the couple of boards out um how they managed to get mikey and chetty out there and in and out of there with no one noticing them well played um but yeah this this you know we, we do speak about times with ecw when something happens which will be on the intro video forever the the moment with the chairs with Funk and Jack, the dive, um, the first one of the dives from the balcony, this will now be on there. 
Yeah, and they did a... This was just a very good match. Um, Batman's really good. Uh, you know, he's a... You know, he's a guy with big enough size, but I, I, I'd say Vader's better, but I think Batman's more versatile. Um, not to just pigeonhole them both in this, in the role they're in. Um, but I, I think the main, one of the main differences is that it feels a lot more believable when Bam Bam's selling than it does when Vader's selling. And I feel like Bam Bam's capable of a lot more. Um, and it's testimony to them both that he's, you know, about twice the size of Taz. And yet this felt like quite a credible match. And that's not easy to do. Um, you know, it tests me to how well they've built Taz, etc., etc. Um, you know, th- this match was probably more a couple of spots and it was a great kind of match bell to bell. Um, but the T-Bone two-pack two spot almost looked too good. Um, you know, I almost... I'd want them taking more precautions on that because it's it really isn't about how far you fall. It's kind of more about how you fall. Um, and a T-bone suplex off of a, you know, a, maybe a five, six foot drop, something like that. Maybe, maybe a little bit less, maybe four. Um, Bam Bam's crossing that, you know, that kind of uh, ground level, if you like, or the, the, the ramp level, kind of facing downwards. Um, and there isn't really enough room to rotate anymore. So he kind of just kind of like pivoted off the guardrail and landed on the floor. Um, I feel like if you were going to do a spot like that, you may want to take more precautions. But, you know, it is ECW and all of that. Uh, the rest of the match was fine. And then, yeah, we we come back in and, you know, whether any of the fans spotted them, whether it was particularly obvious what was going on, if they did, I don't know. Um, but Taz jumps on Bam Bam's shoulders. Bam Bam staggers around the ring. You know, Styles says, oh, I think I saw him tapping, which, you know, they didn't really push too much further than that. And then Bam Bam just kind of, drops and they go straight through the ring this is like whoa this is great reaction from the crowd um and then yeah like it it may have worked i don't want to say works in their favor knocking taz spark out um but sometimes less is more we talk about two cold scorpio being the opposite of that sometimes you know if you're going to do a big spot like that just pin the guy you don't need to do anything else don't need to have the guy you know sometimes a, a crappy finisher after a big spot like that isn't really worthwhile um and bam bam just dragging taz out of the hole and pinning it look really really good uh billy any more thoughts on, on the match or the spots or anything else uh, no, not really. Just that it all looked rather um, very snug and stiff, and uh, that's what I really like in my wrestling. Chris, I think we've sort of covered this. That you know, go out of your way and watch it. Hey, Heyman and Styles want to buy some time, so Heyman tells them to show the Sabu Sama match anyway. Joey Styles pretends he's all wound up about it and says, you know, if the pay-per-view providers throw us off the air, don't come crying to me. So, it's Sandman and Sabu from early evening in a dueling cane match. We start out both men swinging, both men have a cane, but it's Sabu that comes out harder. Sandman drops Sabu on the top rope. Oh, wait, it's actually Van Damme. That was great. They're really good. They just sent Van, they sent Van Damme out, and obviously he's got the hair for it. Um, and they sent Van Damme up dressed as Sabu. And, and Sabu runs out before the, the ruse is revealed to be Van Damme. So it's not like there's this major surprise. Um, but one, a really, really clever gimmick. And also, like, you know, they, 
you know, the, you work out it's not Sabu, but Vadam kind of covers his face with his hair, and then he stands up and kind of flips his hair back, and there's this like, ooh, from the crowd, which is a really good reaction. It's like, oh, didn't see that coming. Uh, and as I put in my notes, Vadam looks shockingly like Sabu. He dress him up like Sabu. Um, and not as I turn out, I, I, I just, in my head, imagined that Vadam was about six inches taller. Apparently not. Uh, Sabu sets up the chair for the triple jump spin board onto the ramp. He jumps off of the ramp and sends Sandman into the guardrail. He lays a table across the corner of the guardrail. He then puts Sandman on it, jumps off the top and kind of just flops through it. He hits an Arabian face buster in the ring, comes off of the top, but I think he missed it. Sabu hits a package suplex of sorts on the ramps. He then hits a triple jump moonsault on the ramp. The ref takes a bump after Sabu crashes off of the table. Salman gets through, uh, gets the table and throws it onto Sabu. Salman lays Sabu on the table. Van Damme charges out and kind of surfs over them both, breaking the table. It's a good job Van Damme is wearing red because it's really hard to tell them apart. The bent ref is here. Van Damme hits a big frog splash onto, the ch- uh, onto a chair on Salman. They lay Salman on the table on the ramp. We then get a pair of dueling leg drops from Van Damme and Sabu as they go through it. The cameraman gets a bit overzealous with the zoom, or the director, but it probably was the cameraman. Sandman gets put through the table for a big pop. He gets dragged into the ring, and Sabu picks up the win. That was really good, but I'm not sure this was... We can't show this on PBV worthy. Chris? Yeah, um... This struggled because I had this idea in my head of this match being so extreme, so violent, so out there and over the top that it couldn't be shown. And I'm like, we've just seen Spike and New Jack do crazier shit than this. It was a little bit underwhelming. Um, We've seen Sabu and Saman do far crazier shit on pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, But... I liked I liked the story of this match. Um, I liked the, the the whole RVD pretending to be Sabu, and I for one was watching it and didn't notice it until both of them were there going shit. That's RVD, not Sabu. Um, it it was a really really awesome match, but because you know we we fed this that it was going to be this. This thing that it just wasn't hurts it. Yeah, Billy, was it a good match aside from the hype they gave it? I think the match suffered because of the hype that they gave it. Uh, Obviously, you know, if you go in and you're going to tell everyone, oh, it's uh, so extreme, we can't show it, and everything else that they said about it, your expectations are going to be raised, and... I think that's what hurt it for me the most was the fact that my expectations were so high. I thought, oh, you know, maybe they'll, uh, there'll be so much blood, but there, there wasn't, you know, it was just sort of a run of a mill match. Um, like you guys, uh, I've got to agree, like the ruse with RVD, I did not see that. I was like, oh, that's very smart. Yeah, I've, I've never sort of seen that before. That's a, a good gimmick. They could go forward doing that with uh, RVD and Sabu. But, I like to see the dress up Sabu as Van Damme. <laughs> I don't know if you'd be able to get away with it. No, I don't know, but it'd be worth a try. <laughs> but, yeah, like, 
It's just strange. Like, EC, like when have ECW given a shit about that anyway? Like, you know, they never really explain why it happened early in the show, why they didn't show it. Um, and yeah, you know, I think Dave Meltzer talks about Joey Styles having a credibility issue um, or beginning to have one. And yeah, he is starting to. Like, they're more and more now, they're trying to use Styles as, you know, this, you know, all rounder. Yeah, this commentator come, you know, presenter come everything else and they're trying to get use him to move along a lot of these angles but to do so they're they're kind of having to kill his word you know like he's having to say things that objectively aren't true like he's having to call matches great that aren't and all of that um star says this is a great match it's uh, this is not this match we can't show on pay-per-view it's like no and it's like you know just shown the match and so i think a a far simpler explanation would have just been to say, look, we got the arena set, we got the ring set up, and 15 minutes before we went on air, Sabu and Sandman just spilled out to ringside. We, we were live, we couldn't, we couldn't put the pay-per-view on air, but we had the cameras rolling. We'll just show you this match later on, because it, it just spontaneously happened at this point, rather than at the point of the show it should have done. I think that would have been far more palatable and would have saved the credibility of a lot of the guys involved. That being said, it was fine. Like I say, the, the highlight of the match was probably the bookends. Um, the Van Damme bit was really good at the front. The bit in the middle was fine. We've seen far better from, from Sabu and Sandman. Far crazier, certainly. And the bit at the end was good. The, the, the spot of the finish was really nice. It would have been another highlight real moment. But as I said, the camera just went zoom and it kind of just ruined the whole thing. Um, but yeah, quite good. But as I say, like it's, when you build it up that much, you you got to deliver. Um, and in that sense, they didn't. Anyway, we cut so that line. Quick Go thing on. on that. Um, just sort of you were saying about uh, Joey's being Credibility. everything. Do you think it is time that they have a second voice then? And maybe if they can come up with one, because uh, like I don't think Heyman's that good at it. Um, you know. I, I think Heyman's too intense. Um, and I also don't know that him and Styles are a good pairing. They've tried Rick Rude, who was a, you know, a, a, a qualified, you know, unqualified failure. Um, but yes, if, probably, but I don't know who it would be. Then what if they sort of not as such as have the commentator sort of side? So they don't need a second commentator, but maybe have a, and they be the the voice of the network or the voice of you know this is what we're doing this is how it all is and doing the intros and doing that sort of the in-ring talking stuff and just leave joey to tell the story of what's happening in the ring uh yes you'd need someone to do that i mean perhaps if it was a you know just a color commentator it'd be a bit cleaner, maybe. Um, but I don't know who that would be. Um, you know, I, I I think it helps if you've got one guy stitching everything together. I just think you need to be able to pivot him onto someone. You know, Lance Wright, I don't think it's good enough. It'd be a weird left turn for someone like Joel Gertner, although I bet he'd have a good go at it. Um, as I say, I think Heyman's a bit too intense. Um, so I don't know that he can make it work either. Yes, if they could find the right candidate would be my thoughts, Chris. Any more thoughts from you? 
No, it's just it was just a sort of an idea because obviously you it is right, you know. Joey is in theory hurting himself by having to be everything and the jack of all trades and be the the overall storyteller for every part of it because the thing that JR and the King do very well is you know you got one's the straight guy one's you know favors the heels or will you know can be the smarmy one and get get over the other side of it I, I think Joey being the one man show as you said is is now got to that point where I think I think it's too much for him. Billy? Yeah, I, I like the idea of Joe Gertner, to be fair. I think, you know, he was a colour guy. I think that would be a good idea. And uh, it would probably take away a lot of pressure for Joey to be, obviously, telling absolutely everything. Or, like you suggested, Bob, maybe Jenna Jameson, you know. Yeah, that'd be a left turn. Um <laughs> That, that 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 would that would solve one problem and create about ten more, and I'd quite like to see it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> on to the main event. Uh, they basically fixed the ring by just badly putting some security tape around it. It's it's still just a hole. Anyway, it's Shane Douglas and Chris Candido with Francine versus Lance Storm, and well, we'll find out. Candido says there's only three people that are beating him up: his grandfather, Bam Bam Bigelow, and his darling Sonny. I'm not saying there's no mystery in this mystery partner, but the fans do seem to be waiting for Al Snow to come out. Lance Storm comes out with Sonny, and she introduces the mystery partner. Sonny just takes off her dress, gown, jacket, top, whatever you want to call it, and she's in what you'd loosely describe as ring gear. Anyway, Stars, somewhat rightly, says it's quite a good plan, actually, because Candido won't attack Sonny, and also he won't stand for Douglas attacking Sonny either. Storm takes Douglas off the top, a belly to back for Candido, then tags in Sonny. Sonny and Francine get into a sounding match. So that was weird. Sonny shaped to hit Candido with a sheet, then badly hit Storm with it, instead before falling off balance and into the hole in the ring. Sonny and Francine then embrace. Douglas puts Lance in the Cobra clutch. Candido puts the mic in Storm's face. Storm says, I'm going to give you a head. And out comes Al Snow and his light show. The fans are very happy to see him. Storm hits a planche to Candido on the floor. They're shooting some of this match upside down, which didn't really work. Uh, Storm throws Franchise into the hole in the ring. Apparently he wasn't meant to fall in, but just did. So Douglas got out. Snow hits the snowplow and wins the match. And then we just go off the air with them just in the crowd, dicking about. There's a bit of brawling, etc., etc. Um, Billy, thoughts on all this? Oh, well, uh, where, where do I start? Um, I did... Not like the uh, thing with Sunny at the beginning where she's announcing herself as the partner and you could sort of see the swerve coming from a miles away. Now, they were sat trying to imply on commentary that Lance sort of knew that Sunny was going to turn on him, so that's why he had the partner in place. I still thought it sort of made him look a bit stupid. Uh, I think that's probably just me thinking that. Uh, but um, it was quick. Uh, obviously, because they've got a broken ring, they can't really do too much. And uh, I, I like the fact that they had Al Snow pin Shane Douglas. You know, they've been building him up really well over the last few months. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a, g- a good idea to have Al Snow go over. Chris? 
I like this. It worked for what it needed to be. Obviously, you got the beginning bit where Sonny comes out as the tag partner. I thought that was genius in a way because, you know, it it was so obvious, yet no one would have thought it. Um, you then had, obviously, Al coming out, which if there was ever a moment for a guy that we all thought was just the mid-card to be burst into the main event and looks as though the fans are really, really up for him being that high and in that position is Al Snow. Um, obviously, this was much shorter than they probably were planning to because of the broken ring. The only, my only issue with this is its placement on the card. I think I would have gone with the Bam Bam as to end the show because obviously you can have that ring break moment and it be more definitive than having ECW look a little bit too bit and a bit sort of thrown together by them just chucking some police tape against the corner where the hole is and sort of just leaving it to it and going oh well, we're still going to wrestle anyway I also enjoyed the whole, buy me some time, Jay, buy me some time so I can put some tape around the hole. Um, well done, well done, uh, well done, Paul. Um, yes, I, I, I'm in agreement. I, I, I thought this was a weird spot, a, a weird main event, uh, for the show. Um, as in, you know, I almost didn't see the swirl coming in a sense. The whole thing was so fucking convoluted. I, of course, couldn't be bold to follow it. Like, you know, Douglas and Candido versus Storman and Mystery Partner. Right. Sonny comes out. I'm the Mystery Partner. What? Like, you know, Sonny's not a wrestler. Like, it doesn't make any sense in any context. Like, you know, she's she's exactly the person you'd expect to turn on Storm. It's obvious that Storm... Why don't you just have Al Snow come out? Like, the whole thing didn't really need to be there. You could have done everything else and, and, and tried to get a match out of it. Um, It just... Yeah, um, Billy, wouldn't it have solved a lot of problems that have just done Towers and Bam and Bigelow last? Uh, yes, it would have solved a hell of a lot of problems because, uh, you wouldn't have had such a quick main, well, you wouldn't have had such a quick match between them. They could have probably done a bit more. Um, and. You could have broken the ring and it wouldn't have mattered because it would have been the end of the show. It would have, yeah. That, 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 it baffles my mind why they decided to go that, that route, but that's what they decided to do. All a bit weird. Chris, um, another vote for Bam Bam and Taz as the main event? Yeah, as I said, I I would have had that as the main event. A, you've got the hometown boy getting the title, which as we saw when at the last pay-per-view when Shane won the belt, you know. I was going to say, a weird symmetry, Shane winning the belt from Bam Bam in, in Shane's hometown the following month, or the following show, Bam Bam winning a different belt from Taz in his hometown. Uh, it then would have set up um, Taz winning the belt from Douglas in, you know, deep New York uh, in May. Not that they're going there, but that would have just been the natural progression. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would have put the title match on last, especially because this tag match wasn't actually for the belts. Um because obviously, if, if it would have been for the titles, then you've got a reason for it to be as important. But the fact that it is just basically there to 
make the main event for the next pay-per-view, with it obviously being Shane and Al, this could have gone on earlier. Chris, your overall thoughts on this show at a score running out of 10? So, I would definitely recommend people go out and watch it. Um, it has basically all the bits that you need to see in ECW. Majority of it done to a decent standard. Obviously, you know, a few weird moments of choices of placement and overhyping. Uh, but, yeah, definitely get your way and watch it. Uh, the Taz Bam Bam match basically one of the better or one of the best pay-per-view matches that ECW have put out so far and I would give the show an 8 A random question Chris has Bam Bam Bigelow been involved in the best two ECW pay-per-view matches? Two of the three the other one being that awesome uh, RVD and Lance Storm match Fair Benny? Uh, yeah, it was uh, a, a very much a mixed bag, this show. Um, definitely, I would go and check it out. Uh, like Chris said, it sort of had everything that makes ECW, ECW. So, yeah, go go ahead and definitely go and watch it. Uh, I would uh, probably give it a 7 out of 10. I'll go one lower, I'll give it a 6. Um, this, in some respects, was ECW's best pay-per-view. Uh, visually, it was the best. Um, it, it seemed like it was the most coherent show in some respects. Um, in, in terms of it, felt like they, you know, they weren't trying to, you know, put too many square pegs into round holes on the card. It felt like, you know, they, they had a lot of views that were kind of rolling quite nicely, so that was fine. Um, just struggled though. Just that I think they, they tried too many things. Some of it worked, a lot of it didn't. Um, I'd watch the Taz and Bam Bam match. I don't know that I'd be desperate to go out of my way and watch anything else. Uh, so a 6 out of 10 for me. So, going into ECW TV for the month. First week's show is pretty much just highlights from Living Dangerously, including the whole of that match that was too extreme for pay-per-view of Sandman and Sabu. Um, We do, however, get a statement from Paul Heyman regarding the situation with the tag team titles. Candido and Storm are still the champs, as no one has beat them. Heyman couldn't give a fuck if they don't like each other. They have to defend the belts, and if there is any funny business... Whoever is the perpetrator will be fired. Also on that show, we do get a promo from the Triple Threat where Shane apologises that the TV title meant as much as the world title. He was going to say they were the same level. That was until Bam Bam won that. He also says that Al Snow has crossed the line and he wants to know who the better man is and challenges him to a match at Wrestlepalooza. Week 2 TV opens with Jenna Jameson saying that she wants to give us head and pulls out a head and we get a video of Al Snow. This is where it's confirmed that we will get Al Snow and Shane Douglas for the title at Wrestlepalooza. We then see a tag team title match between Lance and Candido and the FBI. This opens with tensions rising between Lance and Chris 
with them coming out to Lance's music only for Chris to shout at the music guy to play his music. He goes back to the back and comes back out. And also, in the introduction of their names, he has to have his name said first. The FBI get early advantage. Lance and Chris seem to be able to tag each other, but the FBI do triple-team Lance. Lance and Chris manage to get onto the same page and hit a doomsday device, but Chris's ego stops the pin. They do manage to get the win after hitting a superkick into German suplex combination. We then see RVD and Sabu teaming up to go against Sandman and Two Gold Scorpio. Match opens with Brawl. After the usual weapon usage, we finally get some wrestling between Two Gold and RVD. Sandman and Sabu brawl as you would expect. Sabu hits an awesome top rope Hurricane Rana, but then fucks up the triple jump to the outside to follow. He does it again properly this time through a table. Sabu and RVD hit their version of Total Elimination, and Sabu wins after hitting an atomic Arabian face buster from the top. We then get a Bam Bam promo where he tells us that he now wants to be referred to as the Taz Killer. Shane pops in saying that Head doesn't bother him and Al's and just another Johnny come lately. Week 3's TV opens with Paul Heyman in the ring saying that 11 months ago they were told they could run a show on pay-per-view. Some companies said they still can't show their pay-per-views because they're too violent or too sexy. But the fans have faxed, emailed, and because of the fans, they now are on Cablevision. We get a Shane promo where he basically sort of goes into the reason that he's, that ECW exists because of his success. A fan lobs a head in the ring, and this causes Shane to absolutely lose it. So much so that he starts grabbing Francine and sort of wrenching her wrist, and shoves Candido to the ground, only to be calmed by Bam Bam. We get a glorified squash match between Al, Axel Rotten, and Balls Mahoney versus Danny Doring and Roadkill, where Balls and Axel win after a pair of massive chair shots. We see the FBI going against Sandman and Two Cold Scorpio. Two Cold takes early advantage of an array of kicks until Guido hits a swinging neckbreaker and the tides turn. They double team Sandman. Two Cold managed to get the hot tag, but with this he accidentally bumps into the ref, which brings out bent ref Jim Jones. The FBI triple team hitting Two Cold with a chain until Sandman basically just starts smacking everyone with a cane, including the bent ref, and pins Guido. We then see Justin, who now has his entourage of Nicole Bass, Jason, and Chastity, going against Tommy Dreamer. Justin goes to the attack with a bat, and then Tommy hits a nut shot, and they take it to the outside, they then brawl. There's a slingshot into the post via a chair. Back into the ring, there's an inverted bomb that gets a two count. Jason eats a chair to the face in the tree of woe, which lets Justin take advantage and 
get with a distraction to a drop toehold to a chair where Tommy hits the lip of the chair and looks as though he's broken a few teeth. We get a swinging DDT. Tommy manages to get back into the match after hitting a top rope neck breaker and the Spicoli driver, which looked enough for the win, but Jason pulled out the ref. Justin then hits That's Incredible to Tommy and tries to hit one on Beulah, but she gets a nut shot. Jason then clotheslines her, which brings out Mikey Whipwreck, who hits whippersnappers all round. Tommy gets a DDT and gets the win. After the match, Nicole kisses Tommy. He then goes to give her a pile driver, that is, until Justin hits him with a chair. And then they jump Tommy, Mikey and Beulah. And the numbers are too much. We finish the show with pod highlights of Jerry Lynn, Lance Storm and Chris Chetty versus the Triple Threat. We see that Lynn and Storm... Uh, in control. That is until Bam Bam comes in and press slams Lynn. Shane, for some reason, was still wearing the belt and then shows it, shoves it into Lynn's face, shouting about Al Snow and how he's still the champ. Chris hits a wonderfully lovely stalling suplex. The face is triple drop kick Bam Bam to get him to fall to the outside. Storm hits the blonde bombshell on Chris. Only Bam Bam to come in and hit Greetings from Asbury Park and get the win. To finish the match, the fans cover the ring with heads, which basically makes Shane lose it. Al then comes out and beats down Shane as we go off the air. And in the last week's TV for the month, we open up with an RBD and Sabu promo, where they call out the triple threat. They say they're going to beat down Bam Bam and take the TV title. And RVD is going to knock off his head. We then see a match that begins with the FBI versus Danny Doring and Roadkill. That is until Balls and Axel comes out and they make it a freeway dance. Again, this is part of highlights, so we only really see the eliminations, where the FBI eliminate Roadkill and Doring after Guido hits a super kick to Doring. And Balls and Axel get the win after hitting the Nutcracker Suite on Tracy Smothers. We then Chris, see a tag team. Yeah. Oh, go sorry, sorry. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna wrap up. I thought you'd finish. Sorry. No, still got a little bit left. Uh, Chris and Candido, Chris Candido and Lance Storm defend the tag team titles against Chetty and Jerry Lynn. Lynn and Chetty take early advantage as the champs struggle to get along. This seems to be the running theme of their matches. Chris slap tags his way back into the ring. Lance then remembers that he'll get fired if he does anything, but still hits him with a spinning heel kick. There's a power bomb and a neck breaker combo by the two. Chris then tags himself in again, missing a diving headbutt, which leads to Chetty to take control of the match. That is, until he goes up top, gets hit with a spinning heel kick for a two count by Lance. Chris then backdrops Lance over the top rope and pins Che because obviously ego means he has to win the match. After the match, however, out come Axel and Balls saying that they want the tag team titles. They hit Chris with a massive chair shot. 
Lance tries to fight them off, that is, until he eats a chair of his own. The rest of the triple threat then come out. They get beat down too, that is, until Balls gets hit in the balls by Bam Bam, and then Bam Bam hits Greetings and Asbury Park on both of them. We then see a match between Sandman and Bam Bam. This opens up with Taz calling out Bam Bam, saying that he was the better man, and he shakes his hand. Again, jump cuts and highlights of the show. Bam Bam seen with a jumping Sandman to start the match. They brawls the outside. Sandman does a table suplex, then goes after a ladder. He then gets the cane and seems to crack Bam Bam in the eye, which gets a two count. This is quite a disgusting bleeder on the eye there for Bam Bam. Bam Bam manages to win after hitting greetings from Asbury Park. We then also get highlights of RVD versus Al Snow. Opens up with RVD hitting multiple kicks and rolling thunders and getting two. Al manages to catch RVD in what was a horrible looking slam. We get the brawling to the outside. Al hits an assay moonsault into the crowd. Back into the ring, Al hits chairs and DDTs and gets a two. Fonzie manages to get his way into the ring and gets involved. That is, until RVD hits the Van Daminator, but misses the follow-up splash. Snow hits a snowplow. This brings out Sabu, who accidentally hits RVD with a chair, letting Al get the pin. As we leave the TV... The ring fills with heads, and there is dissension between RVD and Sabu. Chris, very well done. Uh, I'll come to you first. Uh, Four weeks of TV, would it be fair to describe it as kind of fairly inconsequential? They're like kind of, they're pointing the nose in the direction of May's pay-per-view, but it's far enough away where they don't want to give away too much too soon? Yeah, um, obviously the, the main thing running through TV this month is obviously the dissension between the tag team champions um, and obviously the whole thing of if they screw each other over they'll get fired but most of this month's TV hasn't even been full matches, a lot of it has just been sort of potted highlights of matches so yeah, they're not really sort of putting too much stock into it but obviously to finish the month, seeing RVD and Sabu having some dissension. Wonder what that will bring us next month. Billy? Uh, yeah, I, I, what I think I liked most about the TV this month was the build with Chris Candino and Lance Storm. It's very intriguing to see where it will head and what's going to happen with it all. Um, I'm sure ECW will throw us a curveball at some point. In all of this story, um, and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Sandman match was that was very violent. That was more violent than the Sandman and Sabu match, I guess. And uh, I suppose not a lot has really gone on, but uh, like you say, they're not really wanting to give too much away before the pay per view. So, and I think that'll wrap up this much. Sure, big thank you to Billy Johnson. Billy, thank you very much. Oh no, no worries, Bob. Thank you. Uh, Billy, promote Twitter, anything else you'd like to say, this is your opportunity to do so. Uh, yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Billy underscore J83. And uh, if you like any British wrestling, uh, 
then go and give um, uh, at Brit Rest Review a follow on Twitter, and uh, we're posting blogs and interviews up there uh, almost on a daily basis. What is the latest in British wrestling? I've kind of completely zoned out on it the last three or four months. Uh, oh, well, everything's sort of building towards the Dream Tag Team Invitational in Fight Club Pro. Uh, Rev Pro are still, you know, knocking out their monthly shows, and uh, I think they're doing a really good job over there. I, I don't really follow progress, so I really don't know what's going on down there. There's so many different promotions now, Bob, but... Uh, there's a lot of big shows coming up in May, and I think that's going to be a really busy time for British wrestling scene with Eve having their big show. Rev Pro have got a big show. Progress have got three big shows. So it's one of those of looking at it. Are, are we getting to the point where there's there's too much maybe with with like all these companies getting as big as they're trying? Because obviously you've got progress running Wembley, you've got yeah. obviously Eve uh, are getting big. I think Eve are, are a thing to themselves though with them being like obviously female only. But, they are. but you've got obviously Progress trying to get bigger doing Wembley. You've got um, obviously Rev Pro with their obviously links with New Japan sort of a stable sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Fight Club Pro seem to be trying to do bigger and bigger shows as well. Yes. There's only a finite amount of people that could go to all these things. Oh, yes, uh, but the audience seems to sort of be growing. Uh, I'm always seeing new faces. I'm not seeing the same old people. I see the same old people at the much smaller shows, but uh, at the bigger shows, there certainly seems to be an audience. Uh, most of them are wearing Bullet Club shirts, but, uh, you know, if, if they want to come along and they want to support a brand, then all more power to them. Yeah, there's only a finite amount of talent to go around as well. I guess is always the problem. Uh, Chris, oh, go on, buddy. No, I was just going to say, everyone's sort of working for everyone. So uh, until someone sort of takes over and uh, starts signing guys up to contracts, I suppose WWE have sort of done that, but they don't really see any uh, one else's competition out there for them, obviously. What's happened with WWE in the UK? Are they doing anything? I know, I'm not asking questions. I expect a lot of our listeners probably know, but this is now this is the only point I really take any notice. So um, <laughs> I might just edit this bit out. Well, the sport has obviously gone down the shit. That's not happening. So they obviously are not going to launch this WWE UK. And there's still a lot of guys that have contracts and. Uh, Pete Dunne is sort of on TV every now and again. I would assume I don't really follow the up-to-date product. So uh, is, is he appearing on WWE all the time? Um, I know he's on NXT every now and again. I was say, he's on NXT sort of most months, but then they sort of batch tape, so... Well, yeah, then you know. he can take his other bookings elsewhere and whatnot. Yeah. I suppose. Uh, Chris Lacey, oh, thank you, thank you for that update, Billy. I think I, I might just check in with you at the end each time on the show just to find out what's going on because I don't really you say pay much attention anymore. Uh, Chris Lacey, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, promote away. So, Super Brawls is for all my musing on WCW. Um, we haven't done Starcade yet because of uh, stuff going on with uh, me and just not having really enough time to do that sort of stuff um, but we will get that sorted before Tom goes off to Mania 
Um, but Show and Tell with Tunes has been coming out. We've had from this very parish, Rory and Eric both being guests on there um, in the past sort of month or so. So yeah, if you want to hear what they think of other things other than wrestling, you can hear their musical musings on Show and Tell with Tunes, which you can find that on Twitter as S Tell with Tunes and just search iTunes and Podbeam and any other podcasting providery thing, and you'll find it all on there. And as we race thing, towards uh, show 100. If there's one thing people do not want to hear me talk about, it's music. So I'll uh, safely rule myself out of that. Well, that would be a very weird show. Uh, yes, uh, we have. I think it's five shows. This month. I say it's a bit weird. We take the the Pride show like mid February. Uh, and I think we're going to take the UFC show like early April, uh, and they're going to be shows four and four, five and four respectively. Uh, and then, as my washing machine revs up, uh, we then got the three wrestling shows this month too. And not also to our patron, if you'd like to do so, you can chuck five bucks my way by going to patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS. Uh, other shows this month, uh, volume number one, WWF WrestleMania, quite important. Volume number two, WCW Uncensored as well, and this obviously is volume number three. Uh, website's kind of, I would say, been deactivated. It's still there, but, you know, certain things are being iced. You'll notice me on fewer shows this year, and the website's one of the things that's kind of had to go on the back burner, unfortunately. But it is still there. There's a lot of old content written over the last few years at Wrestling20RS.com, and all our back episodes are on there as well. We're on Podbeam, we're on iTunes, we're at RSS, etc., etc. Just Google Wrestling20RS, you'll find us. Anyway, as my washing machine spins up, I will make a good note to uh, to get out of here. My name is... Uh, my name? I'll try it again. Uh, I've been Bob bad but this has been uh, volume number three of the march 1998 edition of the resting 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye <laughs>